Thank you for downloading Paragon Church's Sunday morning sermon on June 23rd. Fast forward, a look ahead and taking your next steps. For more information about Paragon Church, visit paragonchurch.com. For the last couple of weeks, we have been in the making a mix. We've been talking about mixtapes this summer and what that looks like. In the first two weeks of June, we talked about stop and pause. We talked about the Sabbath and how important that is in our lives, how important rest is to take that day and just focus on God, focus on His creation, focus on His blessings, focus on His praise. And then last week, unfortunately, it didn't get recorded, so it's not online, but we talked about releasing the guilt and rewind, going back and looking at all the things that we've done in our lives, maybe they're holding us back and letting go of them so we can move forward. As a matter of fact, today we're going to talk about moving forward. We're going to talk about hitting the fast forward button. And as we talk about hitting the fast forward button, let me ask you a question. Are you at a place in your life right now that maybe you just want to fast forward through it? Just You know there's something better coming and you just want to get through this situation, this, this time in your life and get through it so you can get to the next Thing, just to be able to skip ahead. Because when I was a kid, and we had to listen to cassettes, th- there was that fast-forward button, and there was a song that maybe you particularly didn't like, and you would fast-forward through it so you'd get to the next one. But the problem was, if you were ever on a road trip, or you had that mixtape, and you skipped past that one, well, you'd run out of songs a whole lot faster. You'd get to the end of side A. It's a little bit too quick. And if you weren't doing it right, you still catch the end of the one song, or you get there to the too late into the next song, and there's all kinds of mess in it all, but you wanted to skip that. Let me ask you a question. If you were to hit fast forward today, where would you end up? Where would you end up? Where is it that you want to be? And here's what I think we need to know today, is that sometimes we want to get past the more difficult parts. Sometimes we want to get past the things that that aren't particularly the way we want them to be, so we can have it the way we want it to be. But today is a day that is shaping you. Today is a day that, that is moving you in a direction that God wants you to go. Today's decisions will affect your future. Today's moments will affect your future. Our everyday today steps will affect your future. And if we fast forward through them, what will we miss? What are the amazing little things that we'll miss? And if you hit fast forward, are you just going to get more of what you have today? Because you haven't really planned that much for the future. You know, we have desires for our future. We have desires maybe to get out of debt. Maybe uh, I look over and see Troy Stimber over here. He runs our, our Financial Peace University. He and Craig back here. Maybe you have that desire to get out of debt. Well, you know what? It's not just about hitting fast forward and all of a sudden snap you're out of debt. It's about things you're doing today that are going to affect your future. Weight loss. Maybe you're thinking, I, I need to lose some weight. And you think, I sure would like to fast forward and just have that awesome body. Let me just tell you something, though, this week. I I read a a survey this week, and the survey said that women actually prefer the dad bod over a six-pack because they don't have to live up to as much. So I am doing great. My, fi- uh, my figure is exactly where I want it to be now, and I'm just enjoying ice cream at night. So uh, the, the, the beautiful thing is, is that if we want to do something, we have to actually move towards it and take the steps today to make it happen. We can't just fast forward. We can't just snap our fingers. We can't just get there and be there. 
So as we look at fast forward, as we look at moving ahead, as we look at these things, there's a handful of questions I really want you to think about today. There's a handful of questions I really want you to soak in and really even think about applying. And the first one is this. Where is it exactly you're trying to get to? Or what is it exactly you're trying to get away from if you're trying to hit the fast forward button? What direction are you heading in? Is fast forward going to change it? Is just getting further ahead going to change it? Or are you just going to end up in the same place just a little bit further down the road? You know, uh, we've used this quote many times before, but our direction, not our intention, is what leads to our destination. We can intend all kinds of things, but it's the direction you're heading. If you just hit fast forward, you're just going to get further down the same road. Can I ask you a very serious question? What is the goal for your life? What is the, the, the goal for your life, and, and how even are you planning to get there? See, these are questions I've been thinking about a lot lately. For my life, for my family, and even for this church. What does it look like? How does it look? How does the future look, and how are we going to get there? And I began to think, you know, if I hit fast forward from where I am, what does five years from now look like? What does 10 years from now look like? And how is it going to be shaped in your life? How is it going to be shaped in my life? See, if we're living our life with direction, it's going to be one thing. But if you're just living adrift, it's going to be totally different. So where are you? What is it that you're doing, and how is it that you are doing it? Because really, there's, there's real three levels of living. And the first one is survival. Survival is, is the, the most basic. I just have to get by with life. They're, they're not really living. They're, they're just existing. There's no goals. There's, there's no real drive. It's okay to have a dad bod. Um, there, there's another thing I saw this week that was on the same article, and that was this. Um, they did an interview of millennials, and they came to the fact that 47% of millennials have not bought or used deodorant in the last year. Yeah, you can just go ahead and swallow. It just came up as you thought about it. But this is the thing that I was thinking about. Why not? Why, why not? Well, I think it probably has something to do with there's no real standards. We're just, oh, life is good, and we're just kind of existing and floating through life. We're in survival mode, and you don't need deodorant to survive. The people around you need you to have deodorant to survive, but, but it doesn't really matter that much. So first you have the survival mode, and then the next step is probably where I think most people actually hang out, and that's the success. We live for success. There's different definitions of success, but really I think it all boils down to having a comfortable lifestyle. And what that looks like for you and what that looks like for me may be different, but that's basically what it boils down to, that comfortable lifestyle. But here's the one I really want to focus on today, and that is significance. So first you have survival, then you have success, but then you have significance, that you actually know what you're on earth for. You actually have a purpose to it. There's a quote that's been attributed to Mark Twain, I, Mark Twain, and I say attributed because some people deny that he actually said it, but it's a good quote nonetheless. It says this, the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and then the day that you figure out why. Do you know why? That is living with purpose. That is living with significance. So let me ask you this question. What level are you in? What level are you living in? 
Are you living merely just to survive? Are you looking for success? Or are you trying to find significance in your purpose and know why you're here to begin with? Well, that actually leads to our passage today. And if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we talked about it a little bit last week, but Paul is sitting down with the church of Philippi, these believers that are there, and he's talking about all of the religious things that he had done. That is his success. He lived for success, and then something hit him. That something was Jesus, and he realized he had significance. So if you do me a favor, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, we're going to be reading, it says this, but everything that was a gain to me, all the successes that he had in his life, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of what? Christ. He'd found his significance. All the things of comfortable living, all the things that we have there, they're gone because he found Christ. Verse 8, more than that, I consider everything, all those successes, to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. His life is now all about Jesus. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but that's not good. All right? So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. So he has a goal. He has something he's living for. He has the steps that needed to be taken here. And he says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort, which means he decisively chooses to go after that goal, to go after that perfection. He's not perfect. He's telling the church of Philippi, even though I've done everything, I'm not perfect. I'm still striving, and I'm striving to take hold of it. He doesn't use the excuse of, eh, nobody's perfect, so therefore. I read an article this week about the bachelorette. Not that I get into that, guys, just to let you know. But the, the bachelorette is a believer, and they asked her about the things that take place on the show, and her response was this. It was, everybody sins so I can do what I want and Jesus will love me anyways. That's not what Paul is saying here. He says, I'm striving to make every effort to take hold of that goal that I have, that, that perfection in Christ, because also I've been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. My life, my purpose, my everything, it rests in the hands of Jesus. Verse 13 Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, what we talked about last week, forgetting what's behind, forgetting the past failures that weigh me down, forgetting to, to, to take that unnecessary baggage with me. See, we're on a journey. Take it or leave it. You guys ever been on a trip before? You have to figure out what you're going to take, what you're going to leave. He says, leave the junk behind. Take the things that matter. And he says, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward, straining forward, reaching hard, flat-out commitment, my all-in, no excuses, no retreat, no surrender, here we go. This is the steps I'm going to take. I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. Verse 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus the heavenly call of the things that are ahead and the things that I'm living in right now, my earthly call. It's all about 
Jesus. Verse 16, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained and keep growing. Live up to that truth and join in imitating me. Man, that's a bold claim. I don't want anybody to imitate me. At least not say, hey, you should follow me because I'm such a great follower of Christ. I am still struggling. Paul's still struggling. But he says, join in imitating me as I pursue Christ, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul is laying down a challenge. Move from survival mode. Move from success mode. Find significance and find it in Christ. And let that drive your life. Let that drive where you want to go. Not the next car you want to have or the next bigger house you want to have or the, the comfortable lifestyle. Let Christ drive you. And that's just a very important thing. That's where we need to get to. But how do we get there from here? You know what the answer is? One step at a time. See, some of you in here, you've known Jesus for a long time in your life. Others of you in here, you don't even know who I'm talking about when I'm talking about Jesus other than him being a swear word. There's all different people. The thing is, is each of us can take another step closer to him. And we see this here. And hitting fast forward isn't going to get you there tomorrow. Instead, it's just one step, living in play, living in this mode as we go. It's all a journey that we're on. We take that step towards significance. We take that step towards purpose. So let me give you two steps to start with today. In case you're wondering where to begin, and, and really I think anybody could ask that, oh, how do you take that, ne that next step? Step number one is this. Step number one is you have to decide what's important. You have to decide what's important. You only have so much time, only have so much money, only have so much energy. What's important? Where are you going to invest it? What are you going to do with it? Is it going to be about you or is it going to be about Christ? What do you value in life? What are your values in life? What are the things that you hold on to? See, our purpose flows from our values. Every time we make a decision, we run our values or run our decision through our values filter. And if you're all about the things of the world, you're going to run your decision through that. If you're all about the things of Christ, you're going to run your decision through that. And where do you get those values from? Well, parents, it's a big role we have, placing values in our kids. Friends, church, books we read, TV shows we watch. I mean, the media has a huge influence on our values. And so they're going to say one thing. The Bible is going to say something different. Most of the times the paths don't cross. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they're not going to. So where are we going and what are we doing and how are we moving forward? Is it with culture or was it with Christ? Because like I said, they rarely cross paths. And for thousands of years, this has been the case. Actually, since the beginning of time, this has been the case. It's why Adam and Eve fell. They changed after their values versus God's values. Satan had put it in their head, kind of said, this is the way it should go, and they took that step. And those values that we see that come from culture are actually found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And this is what it says there. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. So here's our big three. 
culture's big three. It is pleasure, possessions, or power or prestige. Pleasure, possessions, and power and prestige. And you know what the crazy thing is? Even if we break these down, you can see these in the church. You can see these, even as we say these are culture's values, you can see them infiltrate the church. Pleasure, what do you want most out of life? What do you want most out of life? If you ask that question, most people are going to say, I want a good life, and I want to retire well, and I want to have money that I can actually spend while I'm retired. That seems to be the base model of it all. We're a pleasure-obsessed culture. You know what the number one thing we spend money on is? Ourselves. Entertainment, food, vacations, all of that. It's what we're after. Second thing is, is possessions. Possessions, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you. I have the desire to buy so many things all the time. It's like this, this eating inside of me. Every time I see something, I'm like, mm, that'd be nice. For whatever reason, the Ford F-150 has been very attractive to me as of late. It's probably because I drive a 97 Mercury Grand Marquis. Anything's more attractive than that thing. But it gets me where I need to go, and it has way less mileage on it. Anything, and I just can't justify it, but sure do want to. I sure do want to, and I think it comes down to that idea of we are consumed with consuming. Dave Ramsey, I love the way he puts it in, in the financial piece. He says we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. That is where we live. We, we are about possessions. And then the third one, prestige or power or position or popularity, whatever P word you want to throw in there. In our world, we like people to look at us and look up to us. That is what we want. We're status conscious. I mean, just look at Facebook or Instagram or the statuses. Are, that's what they're about. It's people being almost jealous of us. That's what we're driven for. We want people to think we're important and successful and we have value. So that's the culture side of things. From experience, can I ask you, does that stuff last? No, it does not. As a matter of fact, I jokingly told Christy while I was driving that 97 Mercury Grand Marquis yesterday, I said, in 1997, this thing was pretty sweet. It had a digital dash, had a cassette player with a hi-fi sound system in it. Yes, yes, yes. It has some sort of leather. I'm not sure exactly what kind it is, but I mean, it has it all. It has all the stuff that you could possibly want and all the stuff you could need, but 22 years later, not quite as impressive. Things don't last. That, that is the reality in our life, that the things of our possessions and our pleasures and our prestige, it just doesn't last. And the Bible tells us the same thing. So we chase after those things, the culture. Or do we chase after Christ if we're like Paul in Philippians 3 where it says everything is lost in comparison to the love of Jesus Christ. He also writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a verse we talked about a little bit last week. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, which means see things with a different filter. Because God has had mercy on you, see things differently. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, all the other three things are all about me. And I said, they even creep into the church. The power and the possessions and, and the pleasure, it, it becomes about me and the church. And he says, I want you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. I want you to see something different. And that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to the patterns. Don't be conformed to the world's values, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
We have to think differently. We have to put it through a different filter so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. See, culture, they want you to think the same as everybody else. Jesus wants you to think differently. We have to decide. Decide what is important. Culture or Christ, that's step one. Decide what's important. Well, guess what step two is? Step two is you have to actually define what your purpose is. You have to look at your life and you have to define what your purpose is. Why do we exist? Why do you exist? What is your purpose of being here? Can I tell you, whether you know it or not, God has created you for a purpose. Your purpose for being here on this planet is found in Him. I really feel for those who don't believe in a God or don't believe in the God or kind of have that agnostic, yeah, I believe, but he has nothing to do with my life. He has everything to do with your life, whether you know it or not. He has put you here for a purpose. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of you sit around and you read the old catechisms of old, and you're like, mm, just got to really get into that 1640 Scottish literature and, and all the things that, that really impact my soul. But there's something that was written in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The very first thing they write is these, this very word. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know where they get that from? The Bible. Psalm 86, 9, All the nations you have made will come and bow before you, Lord, and you will be honored in your name. Isaiah 60, 21, Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians six twenty. For you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. These are just a few of the verses that talk about that it's all about Him, that you were created for Him. And I tell you that very first because if you miss that truth, the next five things I tell you aren't going to matter. They're not going to matter. If, if you don't get that first one, that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, this next thing I tell you isn't going to matter. And that is this. The first thing we need to do in defining our purpose is we need to understand that we are planned for God's pleasure. We are planned for God's pleasure. We worship Him. That's what we are planned for. That's why you exist. That is why you are here. Our number one purpose is to worship Him. Colossians 1.16 says, For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Matthew chapter 22, which is called the Great Commandment. When the, when the, the, the teacher of the law says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And you've probably heard me say this a thousand times, but he can responds with, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. How much is all? It's all. He wants our lives. He wants our all. My all in love for God should decide on everything else I do. It should be the number one filter. I run everything through. Am I giving God my all or is this worshiping me? That's a heavy question to ask. But that's where it starts at. The funny thing is, is we say, I got to give my all to God. You know why we do that? Not out of guilt. Not out of shame, but because he gave his all first. As a matter of fact, if you look at our core values, I can't outgive God. Even my all isn't going to be good enough. I just get to respond to him with that. Values shape purpose. We talked about that already. What do you value? 
Is God your all? The second thing as we define our purpose is we need to understand is this. You were formed for God's family. You were formed for God's family. Check this out. In Ephesians chapter, five, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. We say here, I can't do life alone. We're big about being connected. You know why? Because family is important. Family is important. Now, maybe to you, you're like, my family's crazy. But think about this for just a second. How many gang members are willing to lay their lives down for their gang because they're part of the family? I think gangs do better than churches do at being family, about coming together, about loving each other, about standing up for one another, not, not shooting their wounded, but helping them back to health because it is family. You know how many one another's are in the New Testament? 58. 58 one another's love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, encourage one another, greet one another, and on and on and on and on. God wants us to take care of each other. We were formed for our, his family. We are adopted as his sons and daughters, which means we have everything through him. Third thing, defining statement for your life's purpose, we were created to become like Christ. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we have a calling. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. All of creations are made in God's image. Believers and unbelievers, but there's a problem that comes into our life, and that problem is called sin, and it ruins that image. It distorts that image. It damages that image, and that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to repair our image, to restore our image, to redeem our image so we could continue to grow. Remember I told you there's steps to take? None of us have reached it. Paul says, I haven't reached it, but therefore I continue to keep striving. I keep pressing on. We have steps to take. And this goes for all of us, that we will someday be in the full image of God. We will be like him. What's that look like in the human form? It looks like Jesus Christ. That is who we're striving after. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact likeness of God, the visible image of the invisible God, the exact representation of it, what it's being. You know what the crazy thing is? I have six kids, three of them biological, three of them adopted. But more times than not, even in the adoption realm, people go, man, your kid acts just like you. I'm like, yes, he does. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. But they're taking on the traits of me. The same thing is supposed to happen with us and our Heavenly Father. We're supposed to take on the traits of Him, whether adopted or biological. We're adopted into His family, we take on those traits. God wants His children to bear His image and His likeness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24 says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him, you were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. 
to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted, that one that is broken, corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on that new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and in purity of the truth. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Maybe you've grown up in a certain church or certain maybe cult or some sort of new age type of religion that says someday you're going to be a god or someday that, that you have deity. That's not what they're saying. He's not saying you're going to become a god. What he's saying is you're going to become godly. You're going to take on the attributes of God. You're going to see those things that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 called the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control. Those things that are in our lives are going to begin to spill out. You're going to see the Beatitudes that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are, and you're going to see those begin to take place. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love, and a lot of times you'll hear that at a wedding ceremony, but that love is describing God and the love that we can have. These are the things we were created to become like Christ. As a matter of fact, you want to look up there, you'll see on the bottom, growing people change. We don't stay the same. We tell you in our things, anytime you see our stuff, it says, come as you are. But then the next words are, be changed. Be changed by Jesus. Become more like him. Take that next step closer to him. The fourth defining statement of our purpose is this. We are shaped to serve God. We're shaped for serving him. God made you to serve him. Plain and simple. He made you to serve him. You're planned for his pleasure. That's worship. You're formed for a family. That's connection. You are created to be like Christ. That's discipleship. And then you're shaped for service. And it's what we call ministry. We're up on our board over here. It says save people, serve people. If you have been saved, the, the natural outflow is not guilt. It is uh, God has saved me. His son came to serve me. Therefore, my response should do, do the same. As a matter of fact, if you look, you'll see you're called to ministry. You're created for ministry. You're saved for ministry. You're gifted for ministry. Matthew 20, 26 to 28. It must be, not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, I'm sorry, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are of his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Our shape, spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experiences, the things that have defined our past, God is using to use in your future for his glory and his honor. That's what we're shaped for. We're shaped for service. Now, not every Christian is built to be a pastor, but every Christian is built to be a minister, to be a part of ministry. So you can't be like Jesus, that we're created to be like Jesus, if you don't serve, because he came to serve. That is what it's all about. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, talks about the different gifts that we're given. Some are given different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. You know what that word common good means? It means the benefit of all. The gifts you've been given are given to benefit all. So if you're a pastor, man, be a pastor. 
you've been given the gift of prophecy or the gift of hospitality or whatever gift you've been given, use it for the glory of God, for the benefit of all, for the common good. Don't just hold on to it. Some of you guys are, are so amazingly gifted. And it's just one of those things that, that you just hold on to. You know, when we do our ownership class, our, our membership class, we point people to the shape class that Keith Williams does over here to, just to help you. Because maybe you're like, I don't know what my gift is. Man, let us help you with that. Let us help you take that next step. See, we were made to make a contribution, not just to consume. That's what ministry is. The fifth thing, defining statement, final one. I know you're like, man, we got a lot. By the way, I'm going to go through all of these in the month of August, a whole lot more depth and detail. So I apologize for just kind of vomiting all over you, all this stuff real quick, and you're like, I'm just got to clean it all off. Um, the fifth defining statement of your purpose, you're made for a mission. You were made for a mission. The fifth reason you, put on, you were put on earth is that you were made for a mission. Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 24 so passionate about the purpose. He says this, the most important thing is I complete my mission. And that mission is the work that the Lord Jesus Christ gave me to tell people about Jesus. We've talked about worship. We've talked about connection. We've talked about discipleship. We've talked about ministry. This last one, evangelism. Evangelism. It's our fifth purpose. Found people, find people. Where does that come from? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is leaving his disciples and he says, And you all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to go from right here out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks all about the ministry of reconciliation. You're helping people be reconciled to God. Matthew 28 says, as you are going, I want you to make disciples, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of Jesus. I want them to know about God. I want them to be taught everything. And some people are like, well, he just told that to disciples. No, he didn't. He told that to the disciples to go tell other people to make them disciples, to make them disciples, to make them disciples. Well, you know how you make a disciple of a person that's not a disciple? You have to share good news because that's all evangelism is, is sharing who Jesus is. Matthew chapter 22, that love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You know what the second commandment is that he said is, is, is equal? Love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. How much do you love somebody if you refuse to tell them the greatest thing that has ever happened to you in your life? Evangelism. It's something we do every day. It's when we talk about something that we love to others. I can tell you all about my favorite restaurants. I can tell you what I get there. I can tell you why I get it there. And I can tell you why you should go there and get it too. I can tell you all about my favorite cars. I can tell you why dogs are better than cats. I can tell you, th th there's, uh, there's so many things I can tell you about the love that I have in my life. But none of those things compare to the love of Jesus and the fact that he came and he lived and he died and he rose again for me so that I can have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. There's nothing greater than that. But yet, that's the one thing we have this weird thing about not telling people. Well, I don't want to offend them. You know what? My restaurants might be offensive. I don't care. I'm going to tell you about my restaurants. If you're a vegan, don't go to my restaurants. Because they're going to do a lot of meat at the place that I go. But, but the reality is, is that we, we, 
somehow come up with these excuses and say evangelism just isn't going to work. But it does. It's about sharing Christ because we're saved to share wherever we're at. That is the mission that we're made for. Like I said, we're going to dive a whole lot deeper into these in the month of August. We're going to go through the book of Psalms in, in the month of July. But I, I truly am praying as we get to August, as we talk about these mixtapes, and mixtape volume three will be these anthems. Did you ever have an anthem? I mean, 80s were great anthem music. The ones that like just spoke to your, the guitar solo went on for four and a half minutes in the middle of it all, and you're like, yeah, and you just felt it. I'm praying that these core values are your anthem. That as we dive into it, we just look at the, the crying out of our soul. This is what my life is all about. And, and truly, I've been praying for every person that I know, every person in this room, that God would begin to work in their heart to take that next step. And like I said, you can't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden be Paul. It's going to take a lifetime of next steps. It's like eating an elephant, right? How do you do it? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. It's going to take one step of a time. What do you want for your life? What is the goal? Can I tell you what I want? I want to make much of Jesus. That's what I want with my life. I, I want to embody Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 when it says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. I don't want to waste time. Uh, and the making the most of it is making much of Jesus. And I truly do pray this happens for you too. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know how. Can I just tell you to begin to invest in it? You know, Jesus is very clear in the Bible when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you are investing, that's where your heart's going to follow. And if you're investing in evangelism and discipleship and worship and connection, if you're in the middle of those things, man, your heart is going to follow and it's going to become a passion. It's going to take those next steps. I want to close today with, with just a post that I saw on, uh, on Facebook from a pretty amazing woman that I'm married to. Her name is Christy, and uh, as many of you know, we're in the adoption process again from, a, from going to Bulgaria, and part of the reason why we're doing Psalms in, in July is because I'm praying I'm not here for part of July, that we're in Bulgaria meeting our little girl for the first time. But this is what she wrote, and it's a conversation that happens way more often than it should. So just this week, Someone said to me, doesn't adoption cost a lot? We would adopt, but it's too expensive. And you know what? We hear that all the time. These are her words because she grew up in Texas. Y'all, we live on a pastor's salary, and we've made the decision for me to stay home with our kids. On paper, there's absolutely no way we could afford to do this, but God. He didn't say to us, do this if you can afford this, or do this if you're comfortable with this, or do this if you think you can handle this, or do this if everyone approves and is supportive. And by the way, they're not. He said, trust me, this is what I made you for. He has provided over and over and over and over again. We've been completely humbled by his goodness to us in our adoption. This process is proving to be no different. I hope that he's honored and glorified through it all. And it's not just in finances. It's given us strength, wisdom, patience to live out our daily lives. He's also surrounded us with an amazing support system. 
God is so good. What he is calling to, or what is he calling you to that doesn't make sense? Don't miss out on all the ways he wants to shower his goodness on you. How thankful I am that he gave our family this purpose. We could have missed this. Can I challenge you today to decide what's important and then define your purpose and take that next step? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and the way you continue to work in our lives and the way you continue to change us. And I know there are people in here that, that are far from you, that, that maybe have felt like somehow you have abandoned them, that, that you have, have walked away because they have done the ultimate wrong, whatever that might be. And God, I pray that today they see you for who you are, and they see themselves for who you've created them to be. And they can take that next step closer to you. They don't have to be Paul tomorrow. But God, he specifically said in more than just one passage to imitate him as he imitates you. God, may they find somebody to imitate. May that discipleship process begin to take place. May they, they walk in you and walk in your footsteps. Stop chasing after the things of the world, the power and the possessions and, and the pleasures. Instead, God, chase after the things that are eternal, the things that will last. And that thing is you. It is your son, Jesus Christ. May we chase after that. May we live for that today. Give us the strength, because we can't do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to indwell us, to help us take that next step, wherever we are, whatever it is we are doing. God, may we take that next step closer to you. If we're close to you, let us be closer. If we are far from you, let us be closer. Speak to us today, God, because you know exactly where every person in this room is at. If they don't know you as their personal Savior, that is step number one. Deciding what is important. My life or my eternity. And my eternity is found in you. Because your son came he lived, he died, and he rose again as a gift, a gift that I need to accept. And God, if there's somebody in this room that has never accepted that gift, I pray today is the day they do it. I thank you years ago that Maylee, my little girl, on this day accepted you as her Savior. And I pray that even today somebody can share that spiritual birthday with her. And God, if somebody has accepted you but hasn't taken that next step, maybe a baptism, maybe of, of just getting involved in the church, maybe understanding they are shaped to serve, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you are speaking to people where they are. I pray it in your name. Amen.